0: I tell my friend. Oh. Wonderful. I was,
1: I was gonna see if I could widen this out, but I don't know. Maybe that is that better or worse? It
0: looks 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 good. Okay. It's better like this. Hey, nice beard, man.
1: <laughs> uh, I had it bigger at one point. I've trimmed it back a bit. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're looking good as well.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh I think I had my, you know, I didn't have somebody to cut my hair for like three months, and it was starting to get ugly. Really, I (laughs) I had to wear a hat.
1: (laughs) I think I saw a video where you had a hat on, or or maybe that was, uh, yeah, that was one of your uh, touch guitar episodes or something. Yes. (laughs) So Marcus is getting super hip now. (laughs) So you got to.
0: Got a haircut and I ran into this this creepy guy who did an okay job but he was sort of like he really he really liked me you know started <laughs> to started to feel me out like this and <laughs> it was creepy. You know, I sometimes have this 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 kind of uh experience. Like once like when I was in my early twenties, I went to a, a tailor to have my, my my pants pants shortened or whatever it was and well, that was quite something. Like, it was almost almost abusive. <laughs> wow. Well, and this guy, this guy reminded me of that guy. That's uh, really.
1: You, you felt a similar vibe happening. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad you escaped with everything intact.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tim. So um, this is this is special for me to be talking to you because you're one of my best friends and yeah uh, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, we have we're, we're connected in um in in many different ways i think yeah. Yeah. and and so uh you know like I'm kind of curious maybe i I would like to start this conversation asking you to tell me something that I don't know about you okay <laughs> any idea
1: no. Um, what don't you know about me? Um, well, there's probably lots of things, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I'm not really sure where to start, but, um, you know, the fact is, is that, um, I, I grew up in a music family. My mom was a singer. You might know that. Um, but she, in 1939, 1940, 41, she sang in big bands Mm -hmm. In Ohio, that's where I'm originally from, the Midwest, and uh, so, you know, the fact that she was into jazz and all that stuff. um, And then I have two older sisters who were both singers, you know, so I grew up with my mom's record collection and my two older sisters record collection and there was always music in the house. There was always, um, both my sisters played acoustic guitar and they were into folk music like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez, and Joni Mitchell, and um, all of that stuff. And my oldest sister, Mary Lou, was into the Beatles. And I still remember, like, when I was six or seven, you know, Beatles records amongst the pile, you know, like Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper and Revolver and Rubber Soul. Those albums were all around. So I remember listening to those records and learning how to use a turntable when I was a little kid. And so I used to put records on and... Uh, read the uh, the record sleeves, look at the photos, and think like, who are the Beatles, and who's John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and where is England, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those kinds of things, but I think that was maybe the beginnings of me um, wanting to be a musician, but I just didn't know it then, but I was definitely taken by the music, and it got my imagination going, and the fact that there was always music in the house, mm-hmm. and also my mom played piano, so the piano was around, the guitars were around, so that was my habitat growing up. So that's kind of a cool little fun fun memory.
0: Yes, and uh, it's very, very different from how it was for me. Mm. Because there was, there was um, not much music around, and certainly no musicians around in my family. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, where,
1: where, where exactly are you from in Germany? The north, was it?
0: Um well yeah it's it's difficult to say. It's it's sort of like in um more or less in the in the middle of Germany, like the hmm. the western western side of the middle. And okay. and it's it's a, a, a town called Lübstadt where I was born and where I went to school and Okay. Um very um very much like uh Kind of you're even difficult to explain for me what kind of what kind of class was most represented there and like working class or whatever I guess so. Yeah. Um, but I had like my you know my parents they they sent me to uh, to good schools or at least what they thought would be good schools, and yes, yeah. so I, I was lucky, and they supported me, always supported me, um, especially when it came to music and going to uh, music school and stuff. But um, so for some reason, they had some sort of um, sense that it may be good for me, even though um, they they don't have any musical training. You know? Wow. Yeah, so but for you to be, I mean, because I see you as, as a person who is really sort of like a representative of music on this planet, sort of like, I don't know, <laughs> but like a, almost like a, uh I don't want to use the word diplomat because that's sort of uh ambassador ambassador right like, like that's that the word that, I guess that.
1: yeah
0: yeah and and, and the ambassador of love
1: <laughs> Yeah <laughs>
0: And I think it's it's really it's really um it it can be difficult to to uh, you know with with words to explain. Um, you are really you are really just like such a um, uniquely inspired person when it comes to music, right? Like you 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 pick up the instrument and somehow it's just just like. Like it's the only thing you ever do, and that is actually true, right? Almost like almost, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so 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 tell me about how how like this this uh, this early childhood then kind of played out in the real world. Let's say once you went going to like, going, you going to school, college, and etc.
1: Well, I I think uh, going back to childhood um, because lately I've I've been chatting to a number of people as well just about these early days because i think there's a spark that Mm -hmm. happens for a lot of people and that we hang on to the spark you know from our earliest uh days and my earliest memories uh like listening to those beatles records i mean that's huge but also I, i i remember um you know how i used to play and um when I would play by myself, usually by myself or in the early days, you know, it might be with toys or trucks or whatever I was doing or in the backyard, but it was always a really creative thing where I would be making things up almost in my head, my imagination, and I could play like that for hours and would have a whole world. So remembering that feeling has, has moved me forward into music Um the idea of just being in the moment and creating something out of nothing, you know, yeah. which we do all the time when we play, it's that same feeling, you know? So that's, that's one of the things that, that I remember from, um, you know, childhood that, that is still there, the child, like, uh, internal, you know, whatever it is, consciousness or whatever. Yeah. I think it's so important to have that, um, and to, to touch that and know what that is. Um, You could also say it's like going into the zone, you know, where everything drops away and there's no real thought. You're just doing whatever you're doing. You know, you're present in that moment. But, um, you know, going through uh, grade school and stuff, I just remember, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, finding out about radio, finding out about who the cool rock bands were. You know, I had a guy that sat next to me in grade school and, and the first day he came in, he, he was the only guy with long hair. We were supposed to wear ties. And he wore a tie around his head, like a bandana, you know, like Hendrix would do or something. I said, well, this guy's my friend, you know, for sure. And he had a, he had a cassette deck. You know, he walks into school and he's like, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, dude, what are you listening to? He goes, Black Sabbath. I'm like, whoa, what's that, you know? So he was like one of the first gateways into all this new music and stuff that I got into in sixth or seventh grade. And, you know, getting into high school was about the time when I started to learn uh, how to play guitar. And um, it came uh, to me in a dream. I actually woke up and I was like, well, I got to call my sister today and see if I can borrow her guitar. (laughs) And I did that. She goes, yeah, here's a Beatles songbook. These are the only three chords I know. Have fun. Mm -hmm. That was the the start of that. And I started buying vinyl records and Hendrix and finding Jimi Hendrix and listening to him and saying, how do you do that? So that was, I think that took up all my time in high school. Besides going to school and stuff like that, I was, learning the guitar and listening to records and reading Guitar Player Magazine and finding out about people like John McLaughlin. and Who's John McLaughlin? Dude, I got to get his record, you know? And then I'd put it on and go, what is that? You know? So it was a series of what is that? And mm-hmm. then how do you do that? And um, by the time I was 17, I was probably going to concerts and got to see The Who and Pink Floyd Animals and different concerts that were like wow Mm -hmm. how do you do that you know that's what i want to do so that's where that's where it all started i think teenage years it started putting everything in motion a lot of learning and discovery but really ultimately like even now i'm still learning and discovering you know it just never never has ended you know i think that might have answered some of the question you know
0: yeah no, but we, we're going to go deeper, <laughs> I hope. Uh, is Has there ever been like any other instrument you were like like seriously interested in?
1: Well, besides guitar, you know, I mentioned the piano was in my my house, so um, mm-hmm. I always would sit there and play. and um, I used to write things on it. I, I kind of transferred my knowledge of guitar chords and i would say okay well if this is a g on a guitar then what would be the notes on the piano so i kind of self-taught early on at least enough to be able to play chords and arpeggios and find different chords and then i started discovering chords that you could play on the piano that you couldn't play on the guitar so i think that changed my ear in Mm -hmm. a way you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and made me want to find those kinds of chords on a guitar how would i do that maybe using open strings and stuff like that. So, so keyboards um, definitely interested me and still do, even though I I primarily play guitar, you know, I've, I think I've um, in some way, sonically have figured out ways to make keyboard sounds through the guitar and even using guitar synthesizer over the last 20 years has been a part of that too. I think the Mm -hmm. knowledge from piano and keyboards and harmony you know that you would get on a keyboard has transferred to sonic sonic ways of thinking about doing that through the guitar. Yeah.
0: So uh, let's jump to the present. So when you when you play now, you sit down and improvise. Is how how is like most of what you do then? Is that kind of like how is that represented in your senses? Do you actually? Uh, is playing mostly a physical thing for you and listening? Or is there something in between? Is there some sort of like thinking about also like which notes to pick or, uh, or a specific?
1: Yeah, I think um, um, if I'm improvising and I get into the zone, which is the whole point uh, where everything drops away and I'm playing, I'm really not thinking about um, what I'm playing at. by that point. You might start out that way, like I'm in C major or something. Mm-hmm. But usually at some point, you have no idea where you are. You're just inside the music. That's how I feel anyway. And mm-hmm. when it's really on, I think it's a deep listening that's happening. And I feel like, um, like the music almost becomes spherical. It's like a th- three-dimensional experience for me um, and I'm sitting inside of the sound mm-hmm. and um, whatever that means like if I'm playing guitar or manipulating effect pedals and looping you know there's something about there's something happening and I'm merely uh, letting it come through and trying to be out of the way if I start thinking about something I feel like it drops away and it's gone Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe you're re- then you rely on craft and you can play something. But when the real stuff is coming through, that's, those are what our records are, like Rapture. You know, mm-hmm. that record is a great example of things coming through us. And um, I don't think we could have ever conceived that record or talked about, like, let's make that record. You know, it happened. That record happened we curated what we released, but, um, you know, those are the special zones that, that went down on those records. So that's kind of how I feel about, um, improvisation, you know, and painting too, paintings very much like that. If I'm really thinking about what I'm trying to do, you know, they're, they're nice gestures in color, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the moment that I'm lost in the color, um, and there's no no conscious thought that i'm aware of i'm just being or doing that's when the paintings happen you know like this cover this one mm-hmm. that that was a realization you know it just happened i'm like wow i can't touch this <laughs> you know i just knew it was done you know but other times you might be painting for a long time and nothing's popping through you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So always looking for the magic in that way, you know, and um, it's, it's something about getting yourself out of the way for
0: me. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I know what you're talking about, because I do the same thing, even though I may do it differently. I, yeah. I don't know, but it's
1: definitely it's, do. it's it's
0: interesting like let's let's talk about that more and let's like maybe find out um how that works for for each of us because yeah. it's one of the big questions like you know when like the older i get right like you could say the less the less i know yes that is true but also the more i know yeah it's it's a kind of interesting it seems like a contradiction and like but when You know, uh, a lot of the people who are kind of like starting out in music or who don't have much experience, but who have this love for music and start discovering it, um, there is this, sometimes there seems to be this wall for them that they need to scale in order to, they believe they have to scale the wall and get to the other side in order to be able to make music or to improvise or, you know, and I think that that is absolutely wrong. I think there is no... There's no reason why uh you know you can't you don't need any any particular skills to bring music into the world that's right and and even if you if you think about like the skills that you know are useful even those are not rocket science right like you can it can everything can be explained like in five minutes yeah you can explain like you need to make sure that you're your body can kind of like respond to what you need to do physically, right? So and that's why you practice. Yeah. Put your fingers down, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, et cetera, right? It's it's and then you can explain music theory maybe in 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, right. It's true. I think it's it's really it's really nothing that needs to get needs to be studied for such a long time. But I still I still remember in my in my own world that I had this sort of this sort of um, view that it was something that was difficult to attain rather than easy. And and so, so what you're saying about the zone, I think is, is, is the,
1: the ultimate
0: is the ultimate, but it's also, it's also like the ultimate moment where you're, where, where you're just who you are, where you're not asking the question, am I capable of responding because you're just, you're simply responding. Right.
1: That's well said. Yeah. And, um, you know, starting out, um, and, and not knowing anything on the guitar, but being able to put your fingers down and find some kind of music, you can create music, you know, and, and it's just as valuable and, or valued as if you knew what you were doing, like the idea of the primitive guitarist, um, you know, who can just make a noise. That's amazing. That's, personal expression. So, yeah, uh, no matter where you are in the line, you know, the beginning or near the end, you know, you're still expressing that moment.
0: Well, I know that um, in at least in recent years, and let's say like maybe the last 10, maybe even 20 years in your life. I don't know about the time before, so maybe we should talk about that later, but I I know that you have been like looking for these situations where you could play, where you could improvise with other people, where you could play for other people, like yeah. the music for for dancers that you're doing like live improvised music with dance. Yeah. And, and, and so you're sort of like creating these situations in which you can explore um, explore the, the the zone let's say right getting into the zone right so it's almost almost and you correct me if i'm wrong but it's almost a little bit of uh of a high that you're actually looking for it's like kind of like a little bit of a fix even right yeah i mean at least for me it is like yeah. when I when i get to your place and sit down you know right there where you are in that in the basement and we start playing together that's heaven paradise
1: it is it is and um you know, and it's collaborative, which is even better, you know, like playing solo is cool, but, you know, I can play solo with dancers, but I'm not alone because I just see the dancers as like notes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, or phrases and they're moving and it directly uh, causes me to react in some way musically and it's it feeds back to them and they mm-hmm. hear that. If I'm bending notes, they're bending, they might start bending more because I'm bending notes wider you know, and it's, it's amazing. So it's a feedback loop. That's uh, a really incredible thing to be a part of. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is a high and it's, it's that thing that you're, we're trying to get to all the time. I think as artists or as musicians, that point where, you know, we're just lost in the act of doing, you know, Mm. or being, being Mm. at the, the highest level we can be in, hopefully, you know, and, and and also trying to push a little further, maybe, you know, but not literally, it's just happening because you're getting deeper into it as you go. It's something like that, you know.
0: Yeah, what I love about that state is um, that the rules don't apply anymore when you are in the zone, especially if you're in the, in the zone with other people. Yeah, like nothing. And this, this was one of the early experiences I had with playing with Bernard Heinrich, uh, yeah. where, where like he was doing stuff where like my, my trained uh, musical ear was, was saying, okay, no, that doesn't work. And then I realized, well, yeah, it shouldn't work, but it does work. How does he do that? Right. So, because I, I come from, from more of a, um, a classical music background and training right yeah and um, then playing with bernard who who doesn't have any musical training um was fascinating but then something like the the rapture sessions that you that you mentioned where like there's no consideration whatsoever of the materials we use (laughs) right like we we i don't even i don't even try to match anything that's there yeah but somehow it happens like they yeah. as, as if like these layers that we're putting on top of each other, they sort of like start connecting. They have so much texture that they start connecting in places that we can't even yeah. describe, right?
1: I think that album in particular, there's, there's a couple moments in my life that I've felt that and, and I get it occasionally solo, but it's, it's, it's a whole other world when it's collaborative and when we did rapture um, the the only way i can describe what happens on that album is, is it's a sphere of of music or it's three dimensional and it's not it's not like this but it actually you know all that music is happening and we could literally play anything you yeah. know but we were we were listening very deeply and we were inside of the music but there there, are, there were things that were happening like this note uh, that I created is somehow finding an intervallic relationship with your notes. But there's multiple intervallic relationships happening and multiple keys and just the most beautiful harmonies I've ever heard um, that um, just took on a whole different meaning of what music is to me, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, mm-hmm. it's happened also in Bandit 65 uh, with Kurt, and I remember, um, I think we were playing in France somewhere one time, and the music, it just went like this, and
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: like this huge spear. That's how I perceived it. Mm-hmm. And I was playing, you know, we're listening, we're all listening and playing stuff, and Kurt was playing some wild stuff over there, and I was playing wild stuff here. and. Gintis was playing all this stuff. And somehow it was all working. There was no way you could make it not work because it was just coming through and we were expressing it all. And and I don't think any of us were thinking, it was just allowing. Mm -hmm. And it was three dimensional. And I was like, I was kind of uh, shaken by that night, you know, and Rapture too. It was just like, wow, that was some of the most special music I've ever experienced. You know, in real time.
0: <laughs> yes, and uh, I mean, you—you you are, as you said already, you're also painting, and yeah. so that's another uh, medium that you're using there. Um, I'm just—just just, sometimes I'm starting to wonder, like these these absolutely transcendental experiences we have with music, like how can we, how can we um, share those with? Um, with people who don't want to listen to the music, if that makes any sense. Like I know that the people who kind of listen to the music that we record, they sort of get some sense of what is, what is happening and some of them get it, you know, and they enjoy it so much. And, but I'm wondering if there's anything about what we do of like, you know, that can be shared in some other way.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, like just talking about the music, it's, it's um, that particular album, um, you know, it's an experience, you know, it's, it's not to me anyway, it's not like listening to music or it's not even like listening to an ambient record or something that you might have on. Maybe you're doing yoga to ambient music or something, you know, but this, this is a real experience and I've, I've experienced that album driving, which is pretty difficult because it pulls you in and you still have to operate the car, you know, Mm -hmm, but
0: mm -hmm.
1: majestic sunsets going down and listening to Rapture and it's just wrapping around you. and It's like, wow, you know, this is, it's more of a cinematic experience for me. I I imagine, you know, if we could ever find just an amazing cinematographer to do uh, a movie, you know, that Mm -hmm. somehow expresses that music, you know, that could come in communion, that would be a great way to experience that music, you know?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I I see it very cinematically um, and super spacious and vistas and, you know, landscapes that are just, you know, you've never seen before. So it's, it's a visual album to me. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's how I would want to express it visually, Could it be expressed as a painting? I'm not sure, because, I I mean, it could be, you know, someone like Samantha uh, Keeley Smith could probably do an amazing painting that would reflect Rapture. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if I could, uh, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, Mm
1: -hmm. the three-dimensional aspect of that music, you know, is what I'm talking about, so.
0: Yeah, you know, what what I'm thinking about maybe goes even one step further where it's basically about the, the process that we embark on creating music like that. And yeah. like, how can we share that? Right. And I, in a way, in a way uh, I'm asking this question while I'm already, uh, working on an answer as I have been, have, have been passing on information. I've been teaching for many years. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I sometimes ac- I come across people who tell me that there are th- uh, certain things that can't, be, that can't be taught or can't be yeah. passed on. And I've started to realize that I think what they mean is that you, you can't pass things on if you are not considering your work as being... Uh, like, or being in the role of some sort of therapist, right? Like, because because that that's, like, you can be a teacher and you can say, okay, I have this kind of, like, this these materials and this stuff, and you can learn that, and I tell you what to do. And, like, if you do it, you do it. If you don't do it, you don't do it. And it's your responsibility. Yeah. But you can also get into a relationship where it's, like, and this is more what I also, what I see about, at least how I make my music, is, like, some, I start to take responsibility for the somehow, for the recipient, the, you know, the listener, to, um, to kind of like start something within them that sort of carries a creative, the creative spark kind of I, carries over to that person. And it, it's inspiring, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing. And that's, that's what was always interesting, interested me in music. And, you know, for me, it was also the Beatles. I had, it was the White Album, you know, and I was maybe three, and I put it on the turntable, right? And 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 there was something about it that was not just—it was not just the sound. It was not that the music. It was that it it triggered in me the wish to create.
1: Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah.
0: Inspiring, exactly. And 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 so really, really, that's that's um, sort of. Um, what I see is has become like more important and more apparent to me now in COVID times Hmm. where, where we don't have the means to inspire people while playing live shows. Yeah. Uh, But we have to use like, like even, even this conversation we're having here is I hope will be something that um, inspires people. Yeah.
1: It's something I've been doing a lot during COVID. I mean, the fact that we're a year in lockdown Mm -hmm. is mind-blowing to me, but Ah, uh, there's been such a beautiful sharing in, just in general, uh, in the creative areas, uh, lots of musicians talking like this, and yeah. uh, sharing so much deep experience and knowledge. And that's been inspiring without a doubt. and um, and it, you know, it's I think it's caused more more of us to uh, give voice to what we do, you know, and have these kinds of discussions, which are really interesting because we're getting to the the why. <laughs> why why yeah. is this going on? Um, but maybe we shouldn't question it and just keep doing it. But you know, you, you talked about therapy almost. And I definitely, both in painting and music, I feel that you know, aside from maybe an addiction to doing it or the need to do it, it is a real sense of therapy. And uh, when I'm creating music or taking photographs or painting, I don't think I'm ever thinking of the audience. Um, other than myself. I think I'm just, if I see a photograph, like I see a moment that needs to be photographed or documented, it becomes the most important thing right at that moment. Like I have to take this picture now and I take it and then I feel better. Cause I, for some reason I captured that or the same with a painting, you know, just working with color makes me feel better. Um, even if I don't achieve an actual painting but the actual process of doing, Mm-hmm. you know uh is great or i might feel like this during the day but if i can get my hands on a guitar for only 10 minutes and play
0: mm-hmm. i feel better mm-hmm. so there's
1: nothing about i don't know what that's saying but there is a, a therapeutic aspect to doing all of the stuff and yeah it's important, you know, and listening to records too, you know, going through the vinyl and pulling something out, like, oh man, let's listen to this Tony Williams album. And you put it on, like, wow, yeah, yeah. listen to Tony play, man, you know, and it's mind blowing. And all of a sudden, another hour's gone by.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, so you, you also uh, worked as a as a radio DJ at some point?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that was um, in college days. That was 19, early 80s. Um, I'm not sure when it was. 82, maybe, 83, 82, 83, 84, 85, right around there. And that was at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was a, a music head then, and I still remember walking back and forth past the radio station when I started at school there. And uh, one day I just went in. And, you know, it took a lot of courage for some reason, just to go in and say, hi. And they're like, hi, can I help you? And they're like, yeah, uh, is it possible to get a radio show on your station? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, who are you? You know, and, and we just talked and and all of a sudden they're like, do you like jazz? I'm like, oh, I love jazz. Like, uh, do you want to be the jazz director? That was the first day. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so the next thing, I, next thing I know, you know, they're like, okay, see all those boxes there? That's all jazz stuff. So you have to take all that stuff home and listen Mm -hmm. and write down and program, you know, the station's jazz content. I'm like, great. And I'm ripping boxes open from ECM and just like, wow, what's this? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So it was a huge, a huge education to be there and to walk back and see, um, you know, four walls of vinyl from floor to ceiling and Mm -hmm. just, having those years to just dig through there and learn. I learned so much. And also during that time is when I started interviewing artists, um, you know, and, uh, and doing some stuff for like the, the school. The school had like a print newspaper. So my interviews would be in that, like with Jean-Luc Ponty or, you know, whoever it might be, Alan Holdsworth, people like that. And, um, and we had a jazz club in Dayton, Ohio called Jilly's, and I used to spend so much time there seeing Chick Corea and Wynton Marcellus and Brantford Marcellus and Adrian Ballou, and you name it, everybody came through there. Saw Alan Holdsworth on his first tour there, and Ralph Towner, John Abercrombie. So that was a big, big time of my life in terms of learning about music, learning about how to play music live, what, the, what, what goes into that, and... Just, you know, such a discovery that still impacts my life, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's clear that you dedicated your whole life to music. And uh, how did you end up in Philadelphia?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, I had a girlfriend back in Dayton, Ohio, who was from Pennsylvania. And her brother uh, was a lawyer who wanted to get into entertainment law and managing bands and so we knew each other and he called me one day and he's like "Uh, what are you doing after you graduate I said I have no idea I just want to make music and 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 I I couldn't figure out a way of of doing it in Ohio I I, it was like I I came to like a brick wall like um I don't know what to do and and then he called one day goes why don't you just move to Philly (laughs) You know, move to Philly, sleep on my floor. And um, there's a band that I want to manage and maybe we can manage bands. So we did that for a short while, you know, so that's what got me to Philly. And then uh, I knew no one here except for him. And I just would venture out every night to clubs. And at that time, I guess that was 86, there, there were, uh, everybody was playing Philly and you could go to so many different clubs and so many different places. And I still remember going to see um, Living Color and meeting Vernon Reed, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and hanging out talking to him. And a friend of mine made these uh, little neon rubber knobs. They were called knobbies. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, can you give these to Vernon? I'm like, sure. So I took a baggie filled with knobs. They were like pink, lime green, uh, yellow, really fluorescent. And it was almost like they—it was like a bag of drugs or something. Like, Vernon, I got these rubber knobs where he goes, oh, dude. And he was inside the bag like, I love these. <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's like through rubber knobs I met Vernon. And, you know, we've been friends ever since then. You know, it's pretty wild. But, yeah, so, yeah, Philly was a big change in my life. Um, getting out of Ohio was a huge thing. And then Philadelphia was just like a music mecca. Everything was going on. The industry was still happening. So lots and lots of clubs, lots and lots of jazz, lots of rock. You know, everything was going on. And um, so I was pretty much immersed in that, you know.
0: So that's 35 years in Philly, right?
1: Yeah, I haven't done the math recently. (laughs) Yeah, long time. Mm Mm-hmm
0: and you connected with uh, quite a few people there in, in the scene and you uh, like really for like for me the like the music or the the kind of stuff that we you were doing kind of starts in the early 2000s like stuff that like early stuff on your album that yeah. i sort of like know but i really don't know what you did before that yeah so be- between mid eighties and, and late nineties. What, what was your main activity then musically speaking?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I got, I got married, which was one thing that happened in 1990. And, you know, um, my main activity at that point really was discovering who I was as a musician, mm-hmm. uh, and taking that more seriously, like, uh, starting the beginnings of a recording idea and starting the idea of writing songs, um, writing lyrics, exploring that. And wow, you know, that whole period of time was, was really interesting because I had no idea about anything except, um, just going to create these songs and learn how to record and, So that was a huge learning process shifting from just making music and playing to Mm -hmm. writing, composing, uh, writing lyrics. And then how do I, how do I record this stuff so I can send it to somebody (laughs) that was Mm -hmm. like the idea then, you know? And, um, so I think it was more like research and development for me, you know, it was uh, a lot of these things didn't go out to anybody except the people that worked like Barry Meehan, you know, we worked together and still do obviously, but, uh, we wrote songs together and played and, you know, learned about drum machines and recorders and dat machines and reel to reels back in those days. And, you know, all the, all the different formats and, um, I think that, that brings me up to, you know, somewhere uh, around mid-90s, 96, 97, um, where a big thing changed in my life, which was um, I met Jafar Baron who's a trumpet player, and um, I met him at this jazz club in Philly called Ortliebs, and uh, I knew about him, and I said, man, I'd love to play with you sometime. He goes, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Why don't you come down to Silk City tonight? Just bring your guitar and amp. We're playing. uh we're playing, so come down. So I, I go down there and it was like just immediate chemistry. I was in this amazing band and King Brit was the DJ, you mm-hmm. know, and it was a big mm-hmm. party and yeah. we would do a set and then there'd be a DJ set and then we'd play and then a DJ set. Next thing I know, this, uh, this connection there just connected me to this whole new universe of musicians. And tied me in with uh, Jazzy Jeff, DJ Jazzy Jeff, who had a studio, and I kind of became the house guitar player there for a while. Yeah. And he was he was under contract with Sony, so they were producing lots of records for Sony R&B albums, like Kenny Lattimore and Jill Scott. And and um, and then I got in kind of like the universe of the Roots, you know, with Questlove and James Poyser. And one day James Poiser called me, and he was like, um, you know, I I. I think I would like you to audition for this band called Les Nubians. They're from Paris. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sure, I'd love to, I would love to check it out, you know? And I checked out the music. I'm like, this is cool. So that, that turned out to be my, my first world tour working with them. And just an amazing experience. And then also I was working with King Britt at that time and King Britt, you know, was, was doing stuff for rope Dope and he was, you know, doing all kinds of, all kinds of records. So I was like his guitar player mm-hmm. and, we ended up doing tons of remixes and eventually we did the Sister Gertrude Morgan album for Ropadope. And I mean, it was just a swirling amount of stuff that all started from saying to Jafar, hey, uh, we got to play together sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then in that same universe, as all this was un- uh, unfolding for a-, a year or so, then I met Ursula Rucker. And mm-hmm. that was through a King Brit project, Silk 130. And we played the, the Theater of Living Arts in Philly, and uh, Ursula was on that show. And we met and stayed in touch, or I stayed in touch with her. And and eventually, you know, I started working with Urs, and that that became 18 years of world touring. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I love all these magical connections that kind of go down, you know? Um, or at least they did with my life, and, and still do. You know, when I met Bernd Friedman because of touring with Ursula, you know, that led to making records with him and Jackie Liebesyte, as well as David Sylvian. Yes. So you know, There are all these magical little... You, you
0: also shows. met me on, as a Russell Rocker show.
1: That was... Can you tell me when that was? Was that 2005?
0: Yeah, I think so. 2005 yeah. or, or 2006.
1: We met via Myspace, I think. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I remember you asking me where we were playing and you said you would come to Munich.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there you were. I still my memory is that you were wearing um like a long leather jacket that went below your knees. Okay. And that, that I was like, wow, there's the guy out there that looks like Darth Vader. That must be Marcus. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. And we met that night and I remember we had a had a rough show sonically. It was really Mm -hmm. not a fun show to play because the sound wasn't right. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's one of those shows we had to battle through to get through the show. But, you know, I was like, oh, Marcus hurt us on a night like this. Darn. (laughs) 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 I think it was still great, you know.
0: Yeah, it was uh, with Gintas. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh like it's it's fascinating to hear this story now because I, I think I even saw you at Silk City once. You took me you took me to Silk City. Oh yeah. And you were playing. And yeah. And there is like like one other gig that I remember which was like there was torrential rain and it was supposed to be like in some backyard. The band and then the band set up in the like in the in the away, like the tunnel going to the backyard. Oh yeah, um, that was with
1: Questlove, I believe. That was
0: with Questlove, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Wow, great memory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I have very bad, very bad memory. Unfortunately, I would love to be much better at recalling things.
1: Was that two thousand and eight?
0: Must have been around that time because I, I, I can't remember now, but we can look it up. Like when when basically I asked you to join me for the Star send performance yeah. that I did, right? Well, that yeah. must've been 2008, I think. That so, was but, the first
1: time that you came to Philly, right? And that, that, at least when we were together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I had, I had been to Chuck Van Zyl's show show um, as yeah. early as 2002 or something, but yeah. Yeah. And, and that was like, like what? What I love about you also is like there's like this multicultural kind of aspect to what you do, which I think is also also something that's completely like kind of non-existent for me, coming from Germany. Like this, yeah. this, this, this contact with like um, um, like a certain kind of um, world music, let's say, right? For lack of I don't like that term actually, but you know what I mean. Um, and 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 like it seems like like whenever I I meet meet you and I play with you, there's this there's this 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 sort of uh, almost like a well of knowledge that is kind of like not it's not situated in one place, right? It seems to me like like you're drawing the inspiration from all sorts of directions at all times. So, for example, talking about you, I remember when you started doing the prepared guitar stuff more often. Yeah. Like like you always used to do it occasionally, but then there was a time when you you know that that became like a major thing and yeah, and it's uh, it's just a fascinating like like these um and i I think it really goes back like i mean like if if people would see your your upstairs room with the record collection and like they like, yeah. you know like it's it's obvious that you have all of these these amazing influences and you actually took the time to listen to that music right and you listen yep. to albums more than once so it's it's not like you are the uh, uh like you know that they're like the the prototypical like music journalist who listens to an album once and writes a review and you know it's not <laughs> like that um yeah and um So with, with Ursula, um, and how would, you, how would you describe what she does for people who don't know what she does?
1: Well, first of all, Ursula is, uh, you, know, you know, we're connected in, in some kind of just amazing way. And the first time we played together, it was immediate chemistry. You know, it was just like, you know, she is a, an amazing poet. Um, and... Most people that, that haven't heard of Ursula have heard Ursula. And generally, they've heard her on the first, uh, I believe it's three Roots albums, the first three Roots albums. She did the poem poems that end each of those records. And um, she beca- became known because of that. Um, and, uh, and then she got signed to K7. That's when I kind of came around. At that time, and the first album was Super Sister, and Super Sister is like, you know, her first foray, her first album, and we were all part of the making of that record. King Britt and myself and Phil Charles and just just amazing people, and and it's it's just this amazing record. And um, she has she you know what can I say about Ursula? She is like for me like a a voice of our time. And and we're lucky to hear what she has to say and, and has to write. So, you know, you can investigate her albums, you know, on streaming services or something or go to her Facebook page or her mm-hmm. Twitter account and just see her daily daily notes and the things she's dropped. And I actually just did an interview with her um, last week.
0: Yeah, I, I saw some parts of it
1: was just a beautiful conversation. And and for us, you know, again, we hadn't played in a little while. And then with the pandemic happening, we are just like, just can't wait to play together again because it's such a unique um, thing that happens when we're together. You know, it's like I play in a certain way when I'm with her and um, we just get to this beautiful place. But anyway, we we toured for 18 years together and, and had so many amazing experiences that still resonate. I mean, it's life changing stuff, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ursula's is this amazing poet, singer, activist, uh, community leader. I mean, she's doing things to help, you know, and she and and if, if you're a bad guy, she'll call you out. <laughs>
0: you know? mm-hmm. So
1: she's, um, she, she's been gifted this amazing voice and, and um, she's utilizing it you know, while she's here on this planet, that's her, that's her gift. And that's her, um, her way through. So it's, it's a blessing that we're aware of her and that we know her.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even, well, not even, but you know, there, you can also see the theme that you are sort of like connecting musically with people who use a different medium to express themselves. You say like, yeah. poetry, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, um yeah, this may be stupid to ask, but I ask it anyway, okay, so um, the music you play you you played, and I hopefully you will still play with Ursula. How much of it is improvised? With Ursula?: Yes.
1: Well, here's the thing with Urs. We were talking about this in our interview the other day. The first gig we had was opening up for Nina Simone at the Tower Theater. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be my debut working with her, just me and Mm Urs. So I remember her manager saying, you know, here's the songs you have to learn. And I put the records on. I still remember sitting on my wood floor at my old house and putting on like a song. And I'm like, wow, I have to learn how to play this. And they were full band productions, but I had to distill that somehow down to just guitar. And so that was kind of like the beginning, you know, and, um, you know, just trying to do that, that challenge of doing that. Um, and then we did a rehearsal and somehow that all coalesced and it worked and we had this connection. Um, what was the question, though? I, I think I got off on a tangent. Yeah, no, no, no.
0: It's it's. Um, is there in, in how far? Were you can you can you kind of respond musically, uh, in an improvisational way?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So so I learned these songs, um, and my my feeling about um, I was looking for the code within each song that kind of like what's the essence that I can distill it down to the guitar and maybe I'll have to use a looper as well to, to build it. Um, so, so, you know, once I found that code, then I found like, okay, this is, this is, this is the form or this is the architecture, bare bones, just the ribs, you know? And, um, I, I was trying to just get the ribs together and then add the flesh, so to speak, you know? And, um, to, to, to give those songs what it had to have. It's almost like stripping it down to the blues, you know, the essential bits, the, and then Ursula's voice would come in that and, um, we would have this form, but what ended up happening, the more we played together is we always played the form more or less, but we improvised with it every single night, you know, some nights it might've been faster or slower or longer or shorter but Mm -hmm. once you had the the initial structure what happened in there the color or the orchestration of it was always improvised so i always felt like we improvised every night with the material we played with the material so that's that's what happened i think
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i i I still remember that show in munich which you said didn't sound so good and i believe you
1: at least on stage yes
0: yes um but I, I still remember how impressed I was. You know, it was almost like witnessing a new uh new art form. Uh new to, new to me, I'm saying, right? And yeah. and it was um it was fascinating and 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 sort of like the um yeah, you said that you are, you were using loopers and and stuff, but yeah what you just described as the, like the, the bare bones, right. That's kind of like what I, what I, you know, I'm starting to, to really realize is maybe like the most fascinating skill that a musician can have. Mm. Like, how can you, how can you represent that full band arrangement yeah. playing, playing two notes, right. Yeah. Or.
1: Yeah. Or a line, or, yeah. you know, um, You know, and I really felt that that trio with Gintis, me and Ursula, at that time, and you you recognized it as a new form. I feel that we were like the blueprint for what was to come later, you know. But we, I I really felt that was one of the the greatest bands of the time, you know, while we were out there doing it. It was, we sounded like an entire band, really. And it was me and Gintis doing the music, and Ursula was you know, at the front of the stage and doing her poetry and singing. And um, we really discovered a lot, you know, through that whole process, you know, of touring.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, yeah, it was special. It still is special.
0: You have your own label, 1, 1K Recordings. and yeah. uh, When did you start that label?
1: Uh Started at roughly around... Um, 1999. I think 97 was um, some of the first recordings, and that was Jazz Heads, a band I had with Ari Honig and uh, Chris Kuzmi. And um, Ben Bacardo was the bassist. And we were playing a lot of gigs at the time. And I don't know, I think it must have been my, my, uh, you know, growing up with albums and being in the radio station and the idea of documenting the uh, music. Uh, And, you know, around 97 or so, I really was in the idea of documenting live gigs and recording. I was reading Wire magazine a lot and I was always in the back of the magazine looking at all these little labels that had ads, you know, I'm like never heard of any of these bands. Who are these people, you know, and maybe there'd be a review. You know, I used to read the reviews in Wire magazine too. And I've never heard of any of those people. Of course, there were some people I heard of, but it's a lot of avant-garde musicians. So Wire, Wire turned me on to a lot of stuff, but I always used to think like, who are these people? But then it got to the point of, wow, so they're they're releasing their music, um, you know, and maybe it's very small uh, mm-hmm. in terms of number of CDs sold or whatever, but they're documenting it and they're making it available. And that, that very concept hit my mind one day. And I was like, I just started making a list of possible projects that I would like to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and Jazz Heads being one. And I had a band called Fractured Reverb Underground, which was an electronic project. And and eventually there was a group called New Cultures, which was myself, Ellie Perez and Barry Meehan, and we were all contributing songs and working together, and I was producing it all. And
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, it was just having, having really a fun time with it with the idea of, of can create stuff and release it on your own label. And I really didn't have any I really didn't have any thought about I'm, I'm going off here. Yeah. I really didn't have any thought about trying to get any of this stuff on a record label. It was more of the idea of, like, making it available, you know. I don't even know how to turn this off, unfortunately. But
0: yeah. It's pretty loud.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm so sorry. But, um, you know, it, it kind of started with that, with just the pure idea of creating music, re- mm-hmm. uh, recording it, uh, mastering it, doing all the artwork, and making CDs and sending them to... You know, WXPN or the jazz stations or whatever for some airplay, and that we were out playing in the clubs uh, locally, and that's how it started. And it was just a little grassroots friends thing, really. You know, so that was the initial idea.
0: You know, it's 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 an honor for me to be associated with you and also your label, and um, you know, it's 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 2021, right? And and thinking back, I, I've met you in two thousand six, and so like it was really early, early days in a way for your label, also.
1: Yeah, it was. Um,
0: and I remember you giving me uh, those first records that you put out, and I, I love them all. And like for me, the the standout album still is the uh, Soft Lunch album.
1: Yeah, Tilomo.
0: Yes, uh, you know this is this is a true story. So I used to live in Innsbruck back then, right? And yeah. I had I had an iPod. And I, you know, used to play music like I used the shuffle mode on the iPod. And you know, like they I can't remember like 15,000 tracks on the iPod <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and and no, this is true. This is true. Like occasionally a tr- some music comes on and I Kind of like don't recognize it, or I, I you know I don't know exactly what it is. I say, what is this? It's unbelievable. It's great. (laughs) Kilomo. Okay. So three days later, I hear some other track. Wow, what's this? Oh, (laughs) Kilomo. It's that album. I I really I can't uh, you know I really recommend it. It's incredible, and these. You, I, I, only. I heard you say um, maybe in another interview some time ago that that was like your first, like, like sort of like real experimental guitar album. Like you, where you were going into that direction.
1: Yeah, because it was also about that time was the first time I had Ableton Live, so that software just arrived, and so that album really. Uh, I was working with dancers at the time, so there's some. Dance influenced uh, music on there and conceptual music, but uh, there's a lot of me discovering Ableton for the first time wow. and certain plugins and like wow this does this you know it was I, I called it a guitar and laptop album but but there was actually Wurlitzer piano on there and some other things. Uh, Jeremy Carlsted actually plays drums on one uh, track called Galid and mm-hmm. on galid i took his drum uh his drum performance and i just mutated it and that's had cool. a lot of fun that's why i call it source drumming because mm-hmm. i really mutated mutated what he originally presented and um that was one of the 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 ideas i think at the time which is still a cool cool thing to do but at the time it was like we could get in and take the source material and and mangle it in some kind of way and and it was also, I was working with drum machines and and rhythms and, and new stuff. Um, it was just part of the materials of the day, I think, that was all around, you know. And I remember King Britt saying the same thing that you just said, that, like he still to this day loves T-Lomo. And mm-hmm. the fact that I never did another record like that is so interesting. But I never say never, you know. I've been mm-hmm. working on some new experiments lately, which is really fun. Uh, Uh, So we'll see if there's another T Lomo that comes out, but, you know, that was just, um, again, I I think that record was, you know, improvisational and um, of its time and of its moment, and I was just thoroughly invested in that music, and um, it seemed to um, register with a lot of people. So that's great. Still stands up, I think.
0: Yeah. When was that album released? you remember which 2005, year?
1: 2005, I do remember that. The way that album actually started was when I was touring with Ursula, Stefan Stuver, uh, who was AR with K7 at the time, uh, signed Ursula. Um, and we, we kind of became buds at that during those years. And there was one tour that um, he knew that I was doing like experimental guitar. And he's like, Tim, I think you should make an ambient record for our label. I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that. So it was very very low key. And he goes, yeah, send me some tracks soon. So, you know, I went to work. Uh, that's, that's really how that album started because it was, you know, he kind of offered the idea of a, of a label deal. So Mm -hmm. I sent him all the tracks and, and, um, and then something had changed at the label or something. He goes, yeah, we can't really do an album like this right now. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it didn't fit on the, the kind of stuff that they were doing. Mm-hmm. So then I, I just put it out on 1K. That's what happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know how many releases you have so far on the label?
1: Yeah. Um, with the next release, there'll be 50.
0: Amazing. And what's the next release?
1: The next release is uh, my first vocal solo album called uh, Many Ways Around the Sun. <laughs> you know, that is if it comes out on 1K. We'll see. You know, I'm letting a few people listen to it right now, so you never know. You know. Um,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm so sad that I didn't get to play on that record.
1: <laughs> no one got to play on that record.
0: I, I know. <laughs> That's uh, funny.
1: It was. It was. Um, I don't know. It was a, a journey in isolation, and and I I just ended up playing everything and all the songs on that record just came through like I couldn't move fast enough in the studio grabbing mics and pulling them over to cymbals and just trying to capture everything while it was happening um and you know it was like uh, a, uh you know the demos became the record so to speak you know it's like I had to get them down and they were coming through sometimes with with lyrics and everything and <laughs> You know, I couldn't move fast enough in the studio. You know, I needed help, but I ended up doing it all myself. And the studio was just an amazing... um, It was so destroyed. Like, you wouldn't believe all the cables and all the microphones and drums and cymbals and guitars and basses and keyboards. And I had a Mellotron down here, and all this stuff was everywhere. And it was... I should have taken some photos of that time because it was just total chaos, but the album turned out really, really nice. So I'm excited about it.
0: How, how long was the the process of recording it? Was it just a few days or a few weeks or?
1: Over time, yeah, because um, it started before the pandemic, probably, you know, I'm thinking maybe, maybe in December, something like that. I remember um, um, my girlfriend and I Karen, she, we went and saw The Fix. Okay. I think it was last not this past December, but uh, mm-hmm. 2019. And the Fix played in New York, and their opening act, whose name I cannot remember unfortunately, he played a Todd. He sang a Todd Rundgren song,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it, and I was like, "Wow, that's a great song." But I didn't recognize it as Todd. But I knew I knew the song and. And um, so we got back to the house and Karen was also talking about the song and she said, you should, uh, I'd love to hear you sing that song. And so Uh I learned the song Mm -hmm. and I sang it to her and she was like, Oh my God, that sounds Mm -hmm. good. And I'm like, wow, I don't know, you know, but something sparked and, um, and there was a lot of, um, you know, Uh, inspiration in the air. Let's just say that. And these songs started coming up, you know, and I was just playing acoustic guitar and there'd be a new song idea. And then some of them were coming out fully formed. And um, I just started recording them. You know, I I remember some of them were recorded on a Saturday. I, I used to have these language Saturdays down here with microphones everywhere. And, and sometimes I would just start and I'd get a, a full, full working uh, take, say, on acoustic guitar, and then I'd do an overdub on the voice, and it would start taking shape, and I'd add bass, and I'd, I would play bits of the drum. You know, I'd play just the kick drum, or I'd play the snare drum, or the hi-hat, or the cymbals, or shakers, or whatever it was, and I'd just build up these tracks, and all of a sudden there's this wobbly song sitting there, and I'm like, wow, this is so amazing and i was so excited about it you know and so that they kind of just went on like that you know it, over many weeks i would say yeah i don't have any recollection of the full time period but
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and then all of a sudden there was something there and um i sent i sent the the working demos what i thought were the demos or or the produ- the, the produced idea To a friend of mine, Brian Boland, who's an amazing producer and mix engineer. Mm -hmm. And um, he played the record, my demo or my reference mixes. And he called me back that night. He's like, dude, this is your hunky dory. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I would love to mix this record. I'm like, let's go. And so then there was that whole process of the back and forth and listening to his mixes. And and, uh, he's just a brilliant brilliant mixer so we had a good time and he got he got all all of that stuff into really good shape you know so i can't wait for you to hear it
0: yeah i have to admit that i'm i'm i envy you for that experience and also i'm jealous um it's it's sort of like what i what i would hope would you know happen to me at least once again in my life, something like that—a
1: vocal record.
0: No, not necessarily vocal record right? could be, but just the the way that inspiration struck, wow. you, right? And yeah. and where you have the uh, opportunity to kind of like play everything yourself and yeah. sort of sort of like create these, um, because like you know this is some something that maybe some people don't understand. I, I think like when you you work with looping technology. It's something very different from using multi-track recording. It's it, it has it's it's not the same thing, not at all. Even though like the the pedals are being sold that way sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. So that it's like you know you can multi-track yourself, but um, and 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 I find I find this idea that you kind of create a record like like Stevie Wonder did, like yeah. in the early seventies, right? That's that's sort of like almost, almost like the ultimate artistic expression for a musician if you're a producer and songwriter and performer for all the parts and singer right so it's incredible it's incredible i can't wait to hear it really can't wait to hear it
1: yeah and it's a departure too in some ways but now the more i hear it you know it's like i'm not sure it's a departure but if if people are expecting like it's going to be you know some kind of uh soundscape record with vocals it's not that it's You know, straight up songs and uh, a lot of the songs deal with love and a lot of songs deal with, um, you know, expressing that of of what is, uh, you know, like this moment in time on the planet where we are and our consciousness and, you know, where love is the answer. That kind of that kind of record, you know, it's like. Some of these songs were birthed on a Saturday. I used to, as a kid, have a feeling about listening to music and being in the park on a Saturday. And it was just like, the sun's out and just beautiful and everything is possible. And I think this record kind of has some of that feeling to it. You know, it sparkles.
0: You know, there, there's uh, a track or two on the New Cultures album or on the Remix album. I can remember where you are singing also and-
1: Both records, yeah.
0: Yeah. and so that's why I have some sort of idea what your voice sounds like and also what your songwriting, I mean, may have changed completely, but I'm just saying I, yeah, those are also two albums that I've, I've really enjoyed a lot and yeah. and they have something really, really beautiful about them. You know, this is, I, I find this fascinating because I, I spoke with, uh, with Richard Barbieri also uh, oh. and and just just figuring out like or understanding how like we are sort of like all connected without even knowing about each other and and like we we recognize each other other through the music
1: yes that's how we get to know one another yes like you feel like you know the person because you've heard the record yes mhm
0: and but then you know and, and I find this, you know, but then I, I get to know you, and so maybe I have not heard everything you've ever done. Like, and then suddenly I hear the new Cultures album. And I go, Oh my god. That's also, Tim, unbelievable, right? And I'm I'm pretty sure that's that's gonna be what I will be thinking when I hear your your new album.
1: I hope so, man. You know, but you know, ultimately, um you know it's like, who knows what motivates us and drives us to do this stuff, but it, it is part of flow and it just, it, it came out and, and, um, and somehow I recognize it, you know, I recognize me in it. And, um, I really look forward to hearing what, what you think when you do hear it. But yeah, I think new cultures may give you some clue mm-hmm. about what it might be like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You- You know, the reason why I maybe sounded a a little bit negative about myself there saying that I would, you know, wish to do something like that again or get an opportunity to to do something like that is because um, right now, or even for, you know, even for a few months, I felt really empty and not in a good way. Yeah,
1: Um, I understand that too.
0: And it's not a problem for me because I have been doing so much work and I know that if I do work, it's always good or good enough. Right. But like what you described, so that this, this real, this real drive to do something and like almost like this obsessive, uh, wish to create and, uh, and also to challenge oneself. Right. Yeah. Um, that is something that I, I'm kind of missing. And, in the current yeah. climate and with the, uh, the you know like the constant uh, hustling I have to do in order to survive, yeah, it's 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 really it's 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 really destructive. You could say on one side it's destructive. I think it's going to be also constructive in some way and yeah. instructive and and also creative. Um, yeah. but it's sort of like the sort of um, diversion that I I really. I really, um, didn't expect it. It's like, it's like this, this process. Well, we know that as artists, as, as people, we kind of like reinvent ourselves in regular intervals almost like, but it felt like I was in a process of like halfway through a process of reinvention. And then that got cut off. Yeah. And now there's something else. And, um, I really, I would love to be able to be there with you in that studio and just play right now. I'm...
1: I would love that too, Well, <laughs> it will happen yeah. at some point and yeah. I, I really look forward to any time that we can play again, <laughs> even, even, even if we play online somehow, you know, um, that would be wonderful. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do that just to be, just be be connected and talking to you makes me feel good you know and that's what i've been finding during during the lockdown the the ability of talking to other people and we are being connected like i work with dancers this way where i'm i'm playing guitar and it's it's going into a gigantic zoom classroom with the choreographer and all these little squares and in each square there's a dancer you know from their house
0: it's amazing
1: and and they're responding, even though we're on a delay, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I'm playing Mm -hmm. and I
1: see them responding to what I'm playing and I'm responding to what they're doing and they're feeling that. And even there we connect somehow. Um, It's, it's so profound and it's, it's a blessing too. But, um, you know, it's great that we have the internet during this time that we can actually share this information and share emotion and, and friendship and all those things, you know. Thankful for that. So why not creativity, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I recorded a couple of, like maybe even three albums with Mark Wingfield um, on a Zoom call. Really? And yeah, we did. And it works. it works great because with, like, when you're not trying to play in time with each other, when you're not <laughs> even attempting to do that, and you yeah. just play with each other, like you hear what you hear, right? So, yeah. so it it works. It works. Yeah. It's um it's been it's been interesting. So we we can do that as well. I was thinking to maybe maybe to do that with with more people, like get mm-hmm. kind of like a great like a bigger group of people together, and do this this online session.
1: And can you uh, uh, can you do that multi track? The,
0: the way that we do do that is like you record your tracks locally oh i see you know and you can you can record as many tracks as you want in parallel um but you're sending you're sending a mix of that out via uh, um, a plugin that kind of like transmits your signal onto the internet and then somebody else you know the other people can can uh, take another like a receiver plugin and put it into their daw and um you know then you know you set that that up the other direction as well and you can do that you know between many many people and it's like i said it's not in sync and it's also like impossible to kind of like understand um what the delays are really and it's it's sort of it's almost like complex like you say it's that feedback right that you're getting when you're playing with others yeah. it's just it, there's a delay in between but it doesn't matter you don't know what it is you can't really you can't really Private, right yeah and and it's 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 beautiful
1: that's cool well I'd, I'd love to try that sometime yeah you know that would be fun yeah but yeah getting back to you know uh, what you were just saying before that with the idea of inspiration you know i would have to say though you know that during this lockdown it's 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 definitely been a roller coaster for me as well and I'm sure that there were many weeks that went by where I was just on the low low end of the phase and how I felt was I didn't feel like doing anything you know for a while and um you know when when inspiration does show up you know if it shows up it could be many factors that cause it to show up but just the uh, the thing that is in your mind or in in my mind is just I need to play the guitar. Or I need to go downstairs and work. And and sometimes it's just off, you mm-hmm. know. Then you're just non-receiving. Um, so you know, I just think it's a it's a wave. And if it's down, it's going to come back up at some point.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And- in, in the in the case of of my own experiencing, it's a little different though because. I sometimes I have the wish ah. to create, but I can't. And that's that's when it really when it hurts.
1: Yeah. I understand that. Um one of the one of the things that um you know I've I've been interviewing a few people as well or chatting with people and, and my show is b- basically called Searching for Sparks. And mm-hmm. and um I've always loved Steve Hillage and his, his song was called Searching for the Spark. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of like that idea. But I've always thought about that title, Searching for the Spark or Searching for Sparks. And the reason I think that's a cool title is because my whole life I've been searching for sparks that mm-hmm. will get me inspired. And that might be reading an interview in Guitar Player Magazine or Tape Op or seeing an interview that you did with someone or you know, there's, there's so many things. I just watched a movie with, uh, about Milford Graves called Full Mantis, and you should really watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, um, It's on Amazon Prime right now. Mm -hmm. And he just passed, um, I think, February 12th. And he was just an amazing human being. And talk about sparks. You see how this guy lived his life and it's so inspiring. So I'm always looking for inspiration, uh, looking for greatness and looking for new ideas. I'm constantly, you know, I feel like I'm sending probes out, you know, (laughs) looking for something that's going to jumpstart me. It could be reading a book. It could be listening to some new album. Uh, uh, one night I was listening to John Lee Hooker from like 1950s, you know, studio recording and it just blew me out. Um, and the way the records sound the the way the atmosphere of the recording studio sounded i just I just ran right down to the studio and it was instantly working but so I think that's that's one way you know it's like searching for the spark, maybe it'll jump start something, and that's what I'm always trying to do, like what's gonna make me want to go do something you know and
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: you know, and that that could come from love as well, it could come from your girlfriend, it could come you know, from just taking walks in the woods or nature or seeing an Mm -hmm. amazing sunset. I don't know. And I've always, the other thing I've always um, tried to do is I've always commissioned Sundays as sacred art day. Like no matter what, Sunday was always like, you know, it's always been a spiritual day for people, right? Church or whatever. And for Mm -hmm. me, it was more like the church of art, the church of creation, make music on that day or paint or go to the art museum or, you know, whatever it was, you know, it was always like that was a sacred day for creating Mm -hmm. or watching great films or whatever it might be, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So those are some of my methods.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. Inspirational. Inspirational.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's so good to see you. I gotta say.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, making me uh, melancholic a little bit. Why? Because it's like, you know, I would like to be closer to you.
1: Yeah. Well, right? you know, um, this, this went down, I think, in 2008. Or no, it would have been after that because I would have been at this house. And I remember saying to you it's like you know your best friends my best friends it seems like all of my best friends do not live here (laughs) you know Gintis and jeremy they're they're in new york you're in berlin you know uh, i have just different friends all over and they're you know i have great friends here in philly too but i think i said that to you one time you know i felt melancholy too because um you were going back to Berlin I was like wow if you lived here or if I lived there I think we would always be working or we'd have a band going or mm-hmm. you know um we'd be best friends but our orbit as best friends is a much wider orbit you know like we might not see each other for months and months we're always in touch somehow like on social media like yes. through yep. likes or hellos or whatever but um It seems like our cycle since 2008 has been like, here comes a year and there's a moment and then the next year, even Adrian, the last time Adrian Ballou was here, Julie called me up and we were going to go have dinner with Adrian and Julie's like, can you pick Adrian up? I'm like, yeah, you know, I've known Adrian uh, for 20 years but only from seeing him at concerts and he goes, Hey Tim, you know, but, but he said when I picked him up, he goes, yeah, you know, it's been 20 years of getting to know you one concert at a time, you yes. know, and now we're finally friends. It's something like that, you know, and, um, and, and once you're, once you're connected, you're always connected, you know, yeah. and that's, that's a great thing. So being a musician and, and creating music like we've created, wow, that's a sacred thing. You know, even like this record, which I'll never forget this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I brought a copy down. Mm-hmm. That album, uh, another one of those special moments. And that, that was the, the manifestation of us playing the Star's End show. Yes. And then the overdubs from an all-star cast of amazing musicians. And uh, that's a profound record to me.
0: You see, for some reason, even before I had made these international contacts, I sort of was aware that the people that I'm looking for, let's say, or that my friends, they are not necessarily where I am. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's, and that's, that's also the reason why, when I started making music, I was not really looking for local gigs also because i didn't i didn't i was i was still a student so i didn't really have to make money from uh, from gigging but um so when i when i put out my first album which was which was around the same time that you started your label so it was in 98 um i sent a hundred promo copies out into the world and only two within germany Right. That was sort of like the because I I I had um, over the years like researched like where are the radio stations that would probably like what I do and you know and I had sent my my album tasters to to Chuck Benzile and he played it and people still tell me about hearing it on his show and 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 so it's these you know for for some reason um, and I wonder why that is or I'm wa- even actually wondering if that's true. Like, why did I know that it would be a waste to try to find people who think like me in my direct vicinity? You know, like it was, it's, it's, I find that fascinating. Like, how can you even get the sense? Maybe it's, it's totally arrogant, you know, maybe, maybe there would be enough people even here, like in a radius of like a mile that, you yeah. know, And there probably are, I mean, in Berlin now, right, you know, but 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 then, then, yes, yes.
1: I mean, even in Philly, like, you know, uh, with the music I was creating always, I was never thinking about Philly. I was Mm -hmm. thinking more of like, this is for, you know, Europe or England or something. That, That was what I was always thinking, because all the people that I loved were not from necessarily the States, you know, Mm -hmm. and Philly, I I knew the scene in Philly and I knew the kinds of music that you could kind of do in Philly. Um, and there was one particular venue that I used to play that was a really creative room, you know, and I could just call the booking agent and he would just say, like, I said, I'd I'd love to play there next month. He goes, Oh yeah, uh, I have Thursday available. You know, it was as simple as that. And then you had a gig and then you could come in that room and do anything you wanted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um when that place closed, it was like for me the the a kind of end of the scene. Because everything was was boxed in then. Jazz club, rock club, dance club, but none of the in betweens, which is where I live, <laughs> the in between. So all the artists I love were maybe in Europe, or Berlin, or England, or Norway, or Japan, or something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I was always looking for that too, Marcus, you know, and that's and, um, kind of like, you know, when I was touring with Urs, I was so interested because, you know, we'd play festivals sometime, and I'd have an opportunity to meet Bernd Friedman or I'd have an opportunity to meet some of these people. And, and those would usually turn into a collaborative thing. And and we got to meet, and it absolutely did that, and it's still is still going. You yes. Know? So I don't know. Just babbling on about yeah. <laughs> the, the, the idea of that even in our own hometown, you know, uh, we want to expand outward from that, you know, and, and maybe, maybe those musicians are not in your town, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think we, we both kind of have that same,
0: yeah, that sure.
1: same feeling or thread, you know?
0: Yeah. And I'm grateful that we do actually. Yeah. Like I, I think that maybe for, for quite a few people, it may seem a little bit delusional. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't it doesn't look like that to me.
1: What is delusional though
0: about it? Because like there's there's a certain assumption of of self-importance, like it's important what you do and it's important what you kind of bring out into the world and this belief that there are others out there who kind of resonate with you, and I, you know, like I said, for me, it's not delusional, but but I I can get the sense that for people who are sort of like more, um, you know, like I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want I don't want to. It's I don't even want to judge this, but I'm just saying that I'm getting the sense that even though like it's it's something that's normal to us, right? the way that we live and, and the, the kind of drives and the love we have for creation yeah. um, is not something that has to be uh, universal, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's why I think that it may look for completely differently to people from the outside. Yeah. And I, re- I remember that we had had talks like where you also, you were kind of like uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember when you said, oh, I'm old, I'm 50, right? And that was 10 years ago or 11 I years ago. That yes yes you know and and so it's it's um yeah i but i but, like the point was like i'm i'm grateful that i do what i do and that yeah. I, even though i'm i'm kind of like a real um um i don't don't have proper word for this in english but um uh, in angsthase okay. German word uh, i'm i have lots of things anxieties you know lots of anxieties and i feel anxiety like almost all the time i'm like i have to force myself to do these things right it's not that it comes to me easily it's it's I've, i'm i haven't been made to be on stage i i was i wasn't made to uh yeah contact people on my space or yeah. or even to make phone calls to uh you know one of the one of the most uh, stressful moments of my life was calling Trey Gunn in a studio in Woodstock in 92 when I wow. like ordered my first stick from him like you know and and like what i'm saying is like all, all of these it's it's always like this sort of struggle but it's worth it for the outcome of actually being being allowed or allowing yourself to be creative and to make music and and to meet wonderful people like you
1: yeah. I I agree though. You know, there there is a challenge and there's uh, all this takes a lot of courage, really, all the way across.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um somehow we muster it when we need to or we take a risk. I mm-hmm. think I think as a musician, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I feel this way. I always feel a tremendous amount of self-doubt about any of the music that I make. <laughs> any mm-hmm. of it. Or the paintings. And, and then, then eventually I'm like, I love this piece, you know. But then there's, the when you release it, you're like, uh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and, um, and that just comes up. I think it's maybe it's just part of the challenge of being an artist is, you know, you're always looking at your work and uh, you finish it. And at some point, okay, it's done, release it, put it out, let people see it or hear it. And then you're on to the next thing, whatever that's going to be. Yes. You know? So it's, no. I, I don't often look back, you know, I, but you there's, know, some, I, there's certain key records that still have spikes to them that I'm like, wow, this is still, this is still a good one. But, you know, I probably mostly listen to other people, you know, like other jazz records or something. Yeah. But I like the idea of just keep going, you know, keep, yeah. keep making, keep creating,
0: keep for, evolving. For sure yeah for Try sure, but
1: find new language and
0: you know sometimes sometimes i I do have this strange idea or this strange feeling that a certain project album slash album may be like a point of uh arrival, right like something where yeah, like at a destination that. And it hardly ever, or I don't think ever, it has turned out like that to me. Like, for example, the, the Heartland String Quartet. Like, that was yeah. like such an, a big thing for me. And then, yeah, the, there it is, right? And that's it. Okay, that's it. Like, nobody, you know, it, it's, it doesn't kind of like have that life of its own that I would wish for my... Children, if you think I'm thinking about my music as kind of like the album, so as as children, they they don't really um, yet um, live out there in the world, um, at least not in in the way that I can see it, right? Yeah. And that's and and that's really um, maybe part of this what I call the delusion, right? Like where that maybe that's not even the aim. That shouldn't even be the aim. So we, as you say we just keep going, we, we do new things, we, we keep evolving. And I'm, I'm so super stoked for you and surprised and happy that you have made this vocal record. And that is oh. something that came to you. It's really, really makes me extremely happy oh, to see you. that, you know, like, and I know how hard you, you work and, and, and then like seeing that you actually have that, that payoff creative, creatively. Right. And, and you, where you are actually allowing yourself to challenge yourself. Right. And it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I, it, it really makes me, I have to say, it sound, may sound stupid, but it gives me hope. <laughs> well, you know, you're not the
1: only person that said that. And in fact, Brian, who mixed the album, he's like, he goes, your friends are going to be so happy that mm-hmm. you went there where you went. He said that, Brian did. And I'm like, really? You know, self-doubt. And he goes, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's like, it's growth. It's, It's an evolution in a way. It's actually bringing an instrument back into my life. Something that came up this week that I should probably share because it came up in a dance class, but the idea was, I'll tell you about the dance class, but what came up from doing it was, the idea that you should be everything that you are, you know, and not compartmentalize like I'm a jazz bebop guy, um, R and B guy, I'm ambient guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a singer guy. I play drums sometimes, whatever, whatever it is. But the idea that be everything you are, bring it all to the table. I think David Torn told me that one day too, because he goes, he goes, don't be afraid to play blues licks, you know, bring him in there. If that's part of who you are, bring that shit in there, you know? And, and Barry has said that to me too. He goes, you know, make sure you do everything you, you are. But what happened on this dance class Tuesday is uh, I was working with this choreographer and, and we came online and she said, we're going to do an experiment today, Tim. I'm like, what's that? She goes, okay all the dancers are going to go off screen. So you're not going to be able to see them. I'm going to go off screen and you're going to go off screen and we're going to dance to your music. And at first I was disappointed. I was like, ah, but I want to see the dancers because that's where this comes from, this music. And, um, so we all went offline. She goes, begin when you like. And the first thing I thought of was, I looked around my studio, I'm like, oh, I have drums and cymbals and bells and shakers, and um, I thought I would surprise them. So I just put up a loop and I just started playing bells and cymbals and all kinds of stuff I would normally just not do in a live thing. I would just be doing my guitar and getting getting as much sound out of that as I could. So in the course of this 30-minute improv, I was playing tom-toms with mallets. I was playing thumb piano like one of these things, you know, and, you know, and I was just doing all kinds of um, soundscapes in a, in a totally new way and building up loops eventually and playing the guitar. And we came back online and uh, the choreographer was physically, her face had changed. And she said, I don't know what happened, but I wept almost most of the time. Mm. I was so moved by that experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and then some other dancers came on and they they felt the same thing and um i think i was also giving myself permission to just play anything but also to surprise them or something
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the fact that it connected and then it started making me think about you know some of these instruments that we play or bells or cymbals and how ancient they are and the properties of the sound and how they were tied into ritual you know, you know, the earliest forms of music had a purpose always, you know, healing, funerals, weddings, you know, and um, that DNA just connects us all somehow, you know. And I just wonder, like, what was it that made them feel the way they did? So it must be something about the sound of the music or the properties contained within the music. But all that to say is like being everything you are is... um something I'm embracing with now the voice again. Although I didn't sing <laughs> that
0: time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, I think we've sort of come full circle here from one of the things that I said at the beginning, which was wow. like, you really don't need any particular skills when you improvise because yeah. you do what you do and you do, you have like all the options yeah. in that yeah. moment, in the, you know, in the present moment. Yeah. The here and now and and i think really that is that is so valuable to me to also uh realize you know i enjoy i enjoy music as a universal thing it's not it's not me as the, the player it's not not me the touch guitarist you know i yeah. i would love i would love to pick up an acoustic guitar and play and and really um You've you've sort of like built an ideal environment for that. You have that studio. You have the microphones. You have the instruments. So um, you're yeah. clearly at an advantage there over myself. But um, but I totally hear you, and i I'm complete. I completely agree, and I will take that to heart. And I'll see that um, my next projects they will include me um, me singing. No, uh, whatever it is. Yes. Exactly. Exactly.
1: But you know, it's it, it's so interesting to um, go down different roads, and, and going down different roads, suddenly it's like, oh, here's some new. This is all new stuff, <laughs> you know, and um, you know that's that's part of it. I, I think the other thing that happened uh, on that dance class was the fact that everybody was off screen; no one could see one another, but we knew we were there. Yes. You know. Yeah. So, um, I think anytime there's a performance involved to some degree, you know, there's that extra, that extra spark that happens, you know, yes. we're performing yeah. and it yeah. puts us in a, a certain state of mind. So it's cool.
0: Okay, Tim. So, um, let's, let's stop here. That sounds good. Almost, almost two hours of
1: Are you kidding? Wow.
0: Words. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful nice, to see nice you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'll see you in a few months. Let's just say that.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, sooner than that. <laughs> yes. I'm always
0: waving. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, man. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye.